This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, at some point in our lives, we'll need to give the most difficult speech we've ever had to give. Now, today's guest has found himself in these gut-wrenching situations, both as part of his work and his personal life. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? Our guest today is Robert A. Navarez. Robert is a past division governor and past club president of the Fresno City Toastmasters in Fresno, California, and a current member of Henderson Toastmasters in Southern Nevada. He's the retired chief of police of Delano, California, and today works as the police de-escalation training coordinator in Las Vegas. Robert shared a reflection in the June 2022 issue of the Toastmaster magazine called The Most Important Speech, Overcoming My Fear of Public Speaking Helped Me Tell My Father's Story. Robert Navarez, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Thank you guys for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Robert, your father, Prudencio, has such a powerful presence within the article. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about him? Absolutely. My father was a very interesting person. As I said in the article, very courageous. He came to this country as a teenager, not knowing anybody here. I know, and having spoken to him, that the reason he did that is he was looking for opportunities for his family that he hadn't yet met. And I'm one of those two children that he and my mother had, and he was able to accomplish a lot of great things in his life. But there was one thing that he could not conquer, and that was the fear that he had of public speaking. And so he did a lot, but there was some things left that I had to carry the torch forward with. I find that interesting. It sounds like your dad was a pretty charismatic guy, had an engaging personality, developed relationships. Did his fear of speaking not manifest in social situations? Was it more just on a stage or speaking up at meetings at work? Where did that stop him in his tracks, would you say? So my father had what I now call emotional intelligence. He had really high emotional intelligence. So he could meet somebody and he had such an engaging personality. He was so friendly. And he would always tell me that the most important thing in life was to have trust. In Spanish, confianza which, by the way, is something that has helped me to be very successful as a police executive and police chief. So he understood that and he did a lot in order to help somebody that he had met with to trust them. And I'll give you a real quick example to illustrate what I'm talking about. As a young boy, I remember my dad teaching me socially how to interact with adults. And he explained to me that when people come over the house, that you offer them something to drink. In Spanish. And so he would tell me that when they come, one of the first things you do is you, you ask them what they want to drink. As life would play out a, a couple of weeks later, one of his best friends comes over the house and sits in the living room with my father. And my dad looks over at me like, hey, this is your cue. <laughs> Jumping. <laughs> so I get up and I ask Mr. Delgadillo, was his last name, would you like something to drink? And he very lovingly nudges me across the back of the head and I'm uh, under emphasizing what he actually did, but he grabs my attention and says, no, you don't ask if they want something to drink. You ask them what they want to drink. And then here I am, a little seven, eight-year-old kid wondering, what's the difference? 
Well, I know the difference. And he explained it to me. He says, when you ask somebody if they want something to drink, you're implying that you're going to be kind of put out by asking them what they want to drink. You're, you're implying that it's understood they're going to drink something. It's just a matter of what their choice is. And then even if they say no, you still go and get several drinks, put them out so that they can choose. And so that's just an example of how my father understood how to connect with people. And he took great strides in teaching me how to do that. And so even though he had strong EI, when it came to speaking in front of a formal group, I think that was the difference. That would cause him a great deal of discomfort and avoidance. And when he started to promote through the largest cannery in the world at the time, as a manager with very broken Spanish, he would just freak out and panic. And later on, it, it really led to a lot of avoidant behavior. He would just not go to work on days where he had to speak publicly. Was it worse when he was expected to speak in, well, he didn't speak English, so maybe I'm, or did he learn some English? He, he, he spoke, no, he spoke English, but he spoke very broken English. Okay. So I guess my question is, was it worse when he was attempting to speak in English versus Spanish? Was he more comfortable speaking, like you said, in a, a bit of a more formal situation if it was in Spanish? Yes, absolutely. So at work, he was expected to speak English. And so he was able to do that, for example, supervising people. But when he got called into a formal setting, for example, a meeting, and he was very clear about that, it was the meetings where he would sit at a round table with others that had a strong command of the English language. And he was just scared to death that he would be called upon. And he said, the worst part was when they would give him a heads up and notice so he could prepare. He would tell me that that was worse because then it would ruin the days and weeks leading up to that meeting because he wouldn't sleep because he was so worried about it. He said, it'd be better if he went to work that day and they, they just kind of sprung it on him because he wouldn't have as much time to fret over that upcoming event. But it had everything to do with the formal state of the meeting and also the fact that he was going to be expected to answer in English, which was not his primary language. Now, in the article, it's quoted as your father telling you the worst thing in life is fear. And he warned you not to fall into that trap. And I guess you realize that once you were promoted to management within the Fresno police, you realized that you could not escape public speaking. And I'm just wondering, was that when you found Toastmasters? Yes, exactly. That was the interesting part, but, you know, the dichotomy and uh, what my father would tell me, you know, the worst thing in life is fear. And, and that matched up based on his personal coming to the United States, you know, what it takes to go to another a foreign land and, and put it all on the, uh, on the table because of your family and the courage it takes to do that. But yet getting in front of a group of people, he would avoid that. And so I thought that's just interesting. You know, the, the worst thing in life is fear. He knew darn well that the fear of public speaking was not realistic. It wasn't something that was founded in the truth. He knew that it was within his own head. And so that to me was very evident and something that I needed to overcome. And so when it became an issue for me was when I promoted to the rank of lieutenant. And in our police department in Fresno, the rank of lieutenant is a mid-management level, but it's the lowest in a series of management positions. So there's lieutenant, captain, deputy chief, and the chief. Well, as the lowest ranking management person, you get the distasteful events, the distasteful assignments. And so guess what I would get over and over again? Public speaking, whether it be block parties, whether it be television interviews, it didn't matter. I would get those events. They were delegated to me. And I later learned out why, because most everybody has a fear of public speaking. I now know that public speaking by far over the years when people have been pulled is the thing that is feared the most, even above death. 
people would rather die and be in the box than the person talking about the person in the box. And I saw that in the Fresno Police Department. I would get delegated those assignments. Well, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't delegate it any further down. So I thought, I'm at a crossroads here. I'm afraid of this. It doesn't make any sense. There's got to be a way for me to overcome it. And so this was about close to 20 years ago now. And I, I was, the internet was around back then. It wasn't what it is now, but I did a search, public speaking groups. I did a lot of research on the internet. So I've read a lot about public speaking. I knew what was going on with me, but it wasn't enough to know something was wrong. It had to be an environment where I could actually practice and experience the fear. And that's when I came upon Toastmasters. I found several Fresno area Toastmasters. And the first one that I went to was in Fresno, California. It was one of the longest existing Toastmasters. And when I got there, I was so impressed with their ability to not only speak, but be so eloquent. And it was actually intimidating. I can't match up against these guys. But in the group, they told me, wherever you are in your state of addressing the fear of public speaking, this is a safe environment. There are members of the club that are well-experienced. They've done a lot of speeches and they've overcome the fear. They're now working on, on working on fine-tuning it. But if you've come here for the first time and you're afraid to get up and just say your name, you're still in a safe place. That was really important for me to hear. And so when I got up and I did my introduction, not, not my first speech, but not my icebreaker, but just an introduction, I experienced that fear all over again. Everything within my body, all the symptoms, they came back. But I learned in that first meeting that that fear was not going to kill me. It was just my body misinterpreting something as a dangerous situation. And over time, when I would experience that, I would be okay with it. And, and what I refer to it as, I kind of got used to dancing with the fear. And then eventually the fear left. So speaking about that fear, let's just jump forward a little bit. Obviously, you have come a long way since your first days of Toastmasters. You were, for example, the top cop in Delano, California, population about 50,000. So one would expect that you would be the person, pretty much the top cop at the mic all the time. What was one of your biggest challenges doing that? The biggest challenge for me was in Delano. I'd been there for two years and the city was pretty violent back then. The first year I got there, there were 10 murders, which is an awful lot for a city of 53,000. But about a year and a half ago, we had a murder of two little girls, I believe 11 and 12 years old, where a gang ran up on the house, approached and, and fired numerous rounds into the residence and struck five people and killed these two little girls. And we had a victim's vigil a few weeks later, and there were a lot of victims, families of, of deceased persons that had succumbed to gang violence. And I remember looking out at the audience and, look, and seeing the mothers, and I thought, I have to be able to put together a speech in about 15 minutes and be able to connect. And so my prepared remarks, I started scratching through them and I had to find a way to connect with them. You can find this speech online, but I was able to deliver that speech in such a manner and allow myself to get consumed in the emotion, allow myself to feel the emotion that was present from all these people that were just looking for somebody to give them some ray of hope and that their, the deceased lives haven't been, haven't been taken in vain. And after I gave the speech, I had several mothers come up to me and, and tell me that the speech somehow had made them feel a little bit better and soothed them. And so I knew that my speech had accomplished its purpose. There is no way I could have done that without the skills that I have gained through Toastmasters. 
I think I'd like to hear that speech, listen to that speech. We'll see if we can dig up the link. You, you can. It's uh, it's online. Uh, if you type in Delano Victim Vigil, the video is there. And, and you know, it's it was on there a few weeks ago when I checked, and it's in its entirety. So hopefully you can find that. We'll pull that up and we'll include that in the show notes. Robert, I'd like to ask you to share a little bit more about the weight of speaking during these crucial moments. And you mentioned some of them in your article. You just mentioned, of course, addressing families who lost loved ones to gang violence. You talk about the eulogy that you gave for your father, coming up with some words or stories or something to pay tribute to this loved one who meant so much. And of course, Weighty moments can also take a happier form. I think of giving a toast at a wedding, which is probably going to be filmed. So it's a broad question, but what are your thoughts about the challenge of carrying the responsibility of communicating something meaningful at a critical moment? Yes, that's that's a really good point. And that's the thing with fear. And I've learned a lot in my years. I've, in addition to public speaking, another passion that I have is mental wellness with police officers. I speak regularly. In fact, I'm going to speak this afternoon to first responders struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I go into the physiology of fear, breaking it down in very simplistic terms, what's happening within your body, the chemicals that are being released when somebody experiences fear. And so what I do is I take the curtain down and look behind and see what it is. And the truth is it's nothing more than just bodily reactions that are misperceiving something as dangerous. So another fear that I have is I really, I'm not fond of heights. I'll do them. And so as life would have it, I was asked to do a, a wedding ceremony here in Las Vegas for a close friend of mine. And they asked me to do it in the lake which is that big merry-go-round Ferris wheel, whatever it is that, that goes up in the air here in Vegas. He's familiar with it. It's a bunch of spheres with people in them. And it's not very okay. large. Well, yes, yeah. You're familiar with it. So I, I get in this thing. First of all, I'm trapped. It goes very high. And now I got to do a speech. So I got to face three spheres all in one. And I'm looking at this thinking, you got to be kidding me. This is almost comical that now I'm having to deal with three fears at once. So right. whenever I start feeling that way, you know, like I feel like the, the fears kind of getting the better of me. I just take the approaches. Who cares? I don't care. You know, I'm not getting paid to do this. So they get what they get. And when I take that approach, what it does is it eliminates that fear because it eliminates all of that extra weight that I don't need to be burdened with. And I'm free to just speak. And that becomes really important when I am told I'm going to be doing something in a month or two months. I don't get afraid anymore. Like remember my dad, I told you earlier, my father would get more nervous, worried about the event coming up if he had a heads up because he had more time to stress over it. I don't get that anymore. If, that, if a fearful thought comes up, then I simply say, who cares? I really don't care. And so that's how I'm able to handle the weight by really taking the devil may care attitude. And that's what puts me in a better place to deliver a really good speech to include the one that I, when I eulogize my father. Robert, you're mentioning about the weight you're talking about. You mentioned about the emotions. And when you started talking about finding a way to address the families, I just had shivers going down my spine. And you may not be aware of this, but Ryan is aware of this. But 15 months ago, I lost my, my spouse. And I still remember realizing that I know I have to give a speech. I have to do a eulogy and all the emotions that went through 
my body. If obviously I was having a lot of grief, but I also realized I had a responsibility to say something meaningful. You only really have one opportunity to say what you're going to say. Now, some people just get up there and they just, obviously they're so emotionally just sort of Babylon forever. But I felt it was really, really important that I shared something to have some sort of, some sort of closure. And even now, as we're speaking, I'm just, I'm really, really feeling it. So I just mm -hmm. can't imagine that how you're able to each time you do this, find the power. Yes. Toastmasters definitely <laughs> came into play. How are you able to do this all the time like that? You know, earlier I said it's a lot to do with my, my attitude towards the speech. And when I say who cares, I'm really telling myself, you know, Hey, relax. What's the worst going to happen, right? You've never died from being nervous over a speech or even having a panic attack during the speech. I've had panic attacks during speeches. One of the, one of the first big ones I get, I gave when I was addressing a group of psychologists, I, real, real quick story. When I was overcoming my fear of public speaking, I was working very closely with a police psychologist at the Fresno police department. And she asked me to do the graduation speech for a bunch of police psychologists at a standing room only event at a big theater. And so I get up there and I'm sitting with a bunch of people wearing what's called regalia. I'm not a doctorate level graduate. So a lot of this was foreign to me and I'm sitting up there in my police uniform and I'm looking around thinking, I don't belong here. And I started to experience a panic attack while I was up there. And eventually, because I'd learned how to dance with fear, I just would tell myself, hey, it'll pass. And eventually it did. And I got up and I just smoked it. And the reason I was able to do that was because I'm not afraid of that sensation anymore. And that's what allows me to have the emotions that you need in order to give a good speech because I needed to have emotion there. Obviously, I had emotion at my father's funeral. I, I cried during my presentation, but there's nothing wrong with that. You can incorporate that emotion. The audience wants to hear that emotion, but not as a speaker be so consumed with it. Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm experiencing emotions. It's okay. They're just emotions. And I think that's what I've learned to do is incorporate that into my speech so that I'm able to connect more. And, and I'm not like by myself because I've gone to Toastmaster International Contest and I have seen the winning speeches are people that are able to present with the emotion but not get consumed where it takes away from their speech. Absolutely, I agree. Wow, Robert, I hope that our listeners, particularly those who do struggle with a fear of speaking, are getting a sense of hope today, listening to you, knowing the family background you came from with a wonderful dad, but a dad with a debilitating fear of public speaking and then struggling through it on your own and continuing to push through. And I'd like to actually acknowledge both you and your father for a moment. First, your father for sharing so vulnerably with you about his fear and how it held him back and life and his encouragement for you to not fall into that same trap. It sounds like he gave you a really great gift. And then secondly, I want to acknowledge you, Robert, because it took something to receive that gift. It wasn't just unwrap the paper and there you have it. It became a challenge you had to wrestle with and struggle through. It could have been so easy to say, look, this is the family I came from. Fear of public speaking is in my DNA. I, I just, I can't do this. But you took your father's advice to not let the fear stop you. And your community is better for it. Your family is better for it. Our listeners are better for it. So thank you. Well, thank you guys for my chance to share this with today's audience. 
Yeah. As soon as I read the article, I, I rang up Ryan and I said, Ryan, we need to talk to Robert because like I said, I read the article and I felt sad, but at the same time, I felt really engaged and very hopeful. It just felt really good. It felt really good. Actually, what Greg said to me is, I, I believe you used the words, Greg, this is what Toastmasters is all about. I don't know if you remember saying that. I did. And it was funny because obviously I wanted to share the story, but the Toastmaster connection was just, it was so evident. And we really appreciate the fact that you took the time to write that particular article. Well, and, and also, you know, Toastmasters, I, I, you know, when I do get emotional uh, and when I'm addressing Toastmasters clubs, in fact, Sierra Toastmasters was one of the, what was the group that I went to first? My first Toastmasters meeting was Sierra Toastmasters and it had been founded like 70 years before. And as a Toastmaster governor, when I would go to the club presidents and the meetings and I would, I would tell them, you know, just think about the significance of your group. Here you are in the year 2018, 2022, whatever, and you're forming your club, not knowing that in 30 years, 50 years, a hundred years, there's going to be somebody struggling with public speaking. And because of the work that you're doing to create this club, you're providing an environment for somebody to go and overcome that challenge. Isn't that powerful? That's what you're doing. So recognize the significance of it. And sometimes it's a lot of work. It's very meticulous doing everything it takes to put together a Toastmasters club and keep it running functionally. But that's the inspiration. And when I talk about that, you know, there were pioneers that put together a club in Fresno that helped me overcome this. And I, I get grateful for them. I'll never meet them, but without them, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. That makes me emotional. Yeah. Nice. And we would, of course, not have met each other if it wasn't for Toastmasters. Right. Right. Yes. Folks, if you're listening out there, there are a lot of golden nuggets in today's episode. And please take the time to share them with people. Let them know about the podcast. Let them know about Toastmasters. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com. Apple, Google, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Robert, it has been a total pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks for coming on to have this. Uh, this is a very different conversation today for the podcast, but a, a beautiful one. For folks who might want to reach out to you, ask you a question or two, pick your brain, is there a way that they could get in touch? Absolutely. They can reach out to me by email at dcnavarez, N-E-V-A-R-E-Z at hotmail.com or they can visit me on LinkedIn. I have a presence there and they can message me or they can uh, private message me through that platform. We'll include that information in the show notes as well. Robert Navarez, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Robert. Thank you. Thank you guys. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.